0: All right, so here we go. We're going to conclude our series, Unshakable. We've looked at unshakable joy and unshakable faith, unshakable hope. And this morning, we're going to talk about unshakable love faith, hope, and love. And so uh, I got to preach this last night when we pre recorded uh, for this morning. And so I, I love this pattern. And as we're going to be in two services, I get to tweak after the first sermon. So I've made some adjustments and some changes. And so the ones that are watching now, they have to go back and listen to see if there's any changes. But I want to go before the Lord in prayer, ask him to help me to communicate clearly, and ask him to help you to receive what God wants to speak to your heart. So Lord, we come before you this morning, and we do thank you for your hand of protection over our lives during this hurricane season, during this storm. And we pray that as we move forward, God, that you would continue to protect and guide us. And thank you for this moment, Lord, where we, where we will open your word and, We will seek to hear you speak to us through your word. And God, I just pray that you would help me to open my mouth, help me to preach the word, and help me to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're talking about unshakable love here today. And so love, love is the premier attribute, right? Love. That's what the world needs is love, love, love. We need love. And God is a perfect reflection of love. Actually, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. If you've ever been to a wedding, Matt, you preached a wedding last night. Did you go through 1 Corinthians 13? Man, you messed up. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. And it's talking about love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. Doesn't assist on its own way. And then it culminates in 1 Corinthians thirteen, thirteen. verse 13 says, Now, so now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these Is love So why is love the greatest? Because this love that is described here in 1 Corinthians 13 is the love of God. It's God's love. God's love is the greatest. God's perfect love is the greatest love. And when we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was the earthly reflection of the perfection of love. Jesus was the earthly reflection of the perfection of love. So if you wanted to know what love looked like, what it looks like, perfect love look no further than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at the life of Christ and you'll see what perfect love looks like. And so when we want to talk about unshakable love and, and how we want to fi- have our life founded on an unshakable love, we have to look at the life of Christ. And you know, if you think back to all the messages I've preached in the series, Unshakable, it's all been about Christ. It's all been about Jesus. That our joy is is unshakable because of Christ. Our faith is unshakable because of Christ. Our hope is unshakable because of Christ. And we have a love that is unshakable because of Christ. And this unshakable love is what is the core of our life. It's why, it's why you're here today, because of this unshakable love, this true, perfect love of Christ. It's why you're here in the middle of a tropical storm, because the love of Christ has transformed your life. You're not here to listen to me ramble for 45 minutes. You're here because you love the Lord. That's why you're here. And this is the love that we want to look at. And so if we're going to understand this love, we have to look at how Christ demonstrated that love. And in John chapter 4, there's a story about Jesus' interaction with a woman, a Samaritan woman, a woman of Samaria. And there's other examples we could have looked at, where we could have looked at Jesus' love and his interaction with people but this one really jumped out in my heart I was reading in my daily reading and I came to John 4 and I knew I needed to preach on this section and so we're going to look at John chapter 4 we We're going to look at the story of a conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman and in John 4 Jesus puts on display what unshakable perfect love looks like so this is what we're going to do we're going to go through it I'm not going to read the whole section of the story we'll go through it as I explain the, the text, and we're going to unpack what the love of Christ looks like. And so the first thing we're going to do, let's, let's read John 4, 1 through 4. This is the first the introduction to the story. It says this, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. And this section right here shows us the first thing about Christ's love is this, this unshakable love, is that the love of Christ reflects a God who seeks. This is what we see in these four verses. The love of Christ reflects a God who is a seeker, a God who seeks. It says here in the text that Jesus had to go to Samaria. What does that mean that he had to go To Samaria means that he had to go to Samaria means he had an appointment now there's a woman that's gonna be at a well in Samaria she's gonna be there she doesn't know Jesus is coming she doesn't know she has an appointment who had the appointment Jesus had the appointment Jesus knew where he was going, and he knew he had to go there and he knew the woman was gonna be there the woman did not imagine in her wildest dreams that there would be a Jewish man that was gonna come and talk to her at that well she would have never thought that would have happened. And we'll see as we go through, 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 through this story that she marveled that he was even there talking to her. But Jesus knew he was going to be there. So he had to go. This is a picture of a God who seeks, who's on mission. He is about something. He wants to pursue. He's seeking us. You go through other portions of the gospels you have luke chapter 19 you have the story of zacchaeus zacchaeus was a wee little man wee little man was he right you learned that in children's church zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he he climbed up in a sycamore tree because the lord he wanted to see amen you guys should start singing with me if you knew it zacchaeus wee little man Amen. Amen. <laughs> I don't know the rest of it. <laughs> but, but but see, but here's the point here. Zacchaeus thought he was seeking Jesus. Right? He can't see. He's short. He the crowds, yeah. And when Jesus had went in anywhere, because of the miracles he was doing, there were thousands of people that were following. So Zacchaeus couldn't see above the crowd. So what did he do? I wondered he climbed up into the tree, into that sycamore tree. But Jesus was seeking him. Long before Zacchaeus was trying to figure out who Jesus was. Look what Luke 19 says about that. He has a conversation with Zacchaeus. and says, I'm coming to your house. Luke 19, 19. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he is also also a son of Abraham. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The love of Christ reflects a God who came to seek and to save the lost. This is who our God is. He's a seeker. This is the love of God of Christ. You have another story in John chapter 3. Before the story that we're in right now, there was a Pharisee named named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, he was a keeper of the law, he was a Pharisee and he 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 would have memorized uh, the first 5 books of the Old Testament. He loved God, but he heard about the miracles of Jesus. He saw what Jesus was doing and he was curious and he was seeking Jesus. He came to him at night. And the culmination of the conversation that Jesus had with Zacchaeus shows us and shows Zacchaeus that long before Zacchaeus was curious about Christ, Christ was seeking him. What does it say? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave. Before the foundations of the world, it was in the heart of God to send Christ to pursue Nicodemus, to pursue Zacchaeus, to pursue the Samaritan woman. For God so loved the world that he gave God is a seeker, and the love of Christ is reflected in the heart of a God who seeks. You know, what's interesting about God's love and our love is that God's love is not like our love. And we all know that. You know, when you see stories like this, you realize, and you see the life of Christ, you realize our love is not like God's love. Now we can love with the love of God that is shed abroad in our heart and there's times that we can love with agape love like God loves and we can reflect that. It's a it's a flawed comparison, so it's a flawed reflection of that. But the reason why God's love is different than our love is that we really only like to love the people that we like and that's typical for us. You know, we want to pursue and seek the ones we want to love. It's just like with me and my wife and my kids. I love them and I pursue them and I want to seek to love them but there's some people that I'm probably not going to pursue, right? That's what we do. We seek the ones that we want to seek. We pursue the ones we want to pursue, but the ones that we don't want to demonstrate love to, the ones that we don't want to be around, we don't go around them. We don't seek them. We don't pursue them. This is what separates God's love from our love, is that Christ reflects the heart of a God who seeks his enemies, Christ's love reflects the heart of a God who loves us so much as we see in Romans that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of Christ. This is the love of Christ. While we were still sinners, he died for us. The love of Christ is the visible picture of the heart of God that pursues those who are lost. Look at Luke 15. This is the love of Christ. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them? Does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Wow. This is the love of Christ. The love of Christ leaves the 99 to go after the one. He goes after the one that is lost. This is the love of Christ. The love of Christ is reflected in the heart of a God who seeks, who pursues. And this is what we see in John 4. This woman at the well in Samaria... in in Samaria she didn't know Jesus was coming she was shocked by it that Jesus came there but he was on mission he had to go to Samaria and this is the love of Christ are you thankful for that love here today we're so thankful for the love of Christ that pursues and that seeks you're here today whether you're a believer or not if you come in here and you have not surrendered to Christ you're here today because the Lord's seeking you he's after you he's pursuing you he wants your heart Let's continue on in the story. This is what we see here, that this is the love of Christ, a love that seeks the lost. But let's go back to the text in John 4. Let's see another facet of the love of Christ. Let's Pick up the story, verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Second thing we see about the love of Christ is that the love of Christ knows no boundaries. The love of Christ is reflected in the heart of God who is a seeker. And that God who is seeking and pursuing people and demonstrating his love, that love knows no boundaries. What were the boundaries that were here? If you have been in church any length of time, you know the boundaries. But for those of you who may not know the boundaries, this is what happened. Israel was taken into captivity. Babylonian captivity and the nation was divided. And in the northern kingdom, the, 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 uh, the oppressing armies and enemies of the northern kingdom, Israel, they called the capital Samaria and they took over. And these were pagan people. These were non-Jews that came over in the divided kingdom and took over the north section of the children of God. And as a result of that, non-Jews begin to marry with Jews. And as a result of that, there was mixed mixed race was going on there. There was Jews married to non-Jews. And so the the pure-blooded Jews from the south had a hatred for the Samaritans of the north. And they said, well, they're not truly Jews. And so as a result of that, there was, there was a racism. There was a hatred in the heart of Jews between Samaritans. And this is what it means in this text for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And it's interesting, it says, there, it says there in the text that Jesus asked for a drink. And when it says that they have no dealings with Samaritans, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, what it really literally means to the far extreme end of that was that they would not, a Jew would not even use the same uh, eating and drinking utensil that a Samaritan would use. And so this is what this woman is in shock over. She says, you, as a Jew, are talking to me? But not only are you talking to me, but you're asking for a drink from the same cup that I'm going to get water from this well. You have no dealings. You're going to drink from the same, you want me to give you drink, and you're going to use the same utensil that I use? You know what the picture Shows us here what this shows us is that the love of Christ has no boundaries. It knows no boundaries. The love of Christ is for everyone. The love of Christ is even for those who were not lovable from a human point of view. This is the love of Christ. The gospel is good news for all people, for people of all nationalities and all races and all classes and everyone. It's for everyone. The love of Christ knows no boundaries. But what do we, how do we respond with love? Well, we would want to say that the love would be for those who deserve it. Well, they don't deserve it and they're too evil or they're too bad. But the love of Christ knows no boundaries. Look at First John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. It says this, we love because he first loved us. He's the God who seeks. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother. For for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him: whoever loves God must also love his brother. You ever had somebody in your life that's hard to love? You can be honest with me. Yeah, yeah. Are they sitting next to you? We all have had people that are hard to love. You looked at people on TV lately that you've had a hard time loving. I'm going to be real with you this morning. You know, what, what really motivated my heart for this message was that there's people that are, that, are, that are walking in lawless behavior in our country today. I'm not talking about the peaceful protests. I'm talking about those who are not peaceful. Those are the people that God loves. He loves the peaceful protesters. He loves the angry rioters. He loves the looters. Right? I want us to think about this. This is real life. This is where we live. The love of Christ knows no boundaries. We know boundaries. We know boundaries. And we love those that we think deserve love. But the love of Christ, it is for everyone. It's for, it's, it's for the evil of evil. It's for everyone. The gospel is for bad people. That's what the gospel is all about. For bad people, you know, but I think what happens is, is that we like, to, we like to change our definition of bad And we have to categorize what's bad and what's really bad. But what's bad and what's really bad is all the same. There's no categories of bad. It's all sin. Sin is sin, no matter what it is. It's rebellion against God. And thanks to God. That he's a God who seeks. He's a God who loves us first. He's a God that says that my love knows no boundaries. That I will love everyone and anyone. I love everyone because they are made in my image. And I desire that none should perish but sh- that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the love of Christ. A love that knows no boundaries. Jesus calls Levi Matthew. Tax collector. Tax collector. Listen to a love that knows no boundaries. The Pharisees grumble about him because the tax collectors of the Jews, they, they hiked up the tax rates so that they could profit. They were paying taxes to Rome and the, the tax collectors would hike up the tax rate and they would skim off the top and they were stealing from their own people. So tax, tax collectors were hated among the Jews. And Jesus comes and talks and calls Levi Matthew to follow him. He says, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to eat with you pharisees grumbled because they had a they have a view of god that his love had boundaries his love was only for those who were righteous how backwards is that they had a view that the love of god was only for those that were like them and that were righteous christ came to blow up that whole system and to say no my love is for the sick listen to what he says in luke 5 jesus answered them those who are well have no need of a a physician but those who are sick I have, come not, I, have, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he's even come to call the ones who think they're righteous, but are actually sinners. He's come to call the self-righteous to repentance. He's come to call the self-righteous and those who aren't even pursuing righteousness. He's come to call everyone to repentance. This is the love of Christ, a love that knows no boundaries, a love that is reflected in the heart of God who seeks and a love that will that is for everyone. He's seeking everyone. First Timothy chapter one says this the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the, to the world to do what? To save sinners. And what does the Apostle Paul say? Of whom I am the foremost. I'm the chief of sinners. Can you imagine that, Apostle Paul? What type of picture did he have? He had the realization that he was no better than anyone else, that he was the chief of sinners. For not careful, we can categorize people by those we think are deserving of the gospel and those who are not. The good news about Jesus is for those who don't look like us, dress like us, act like us, live where we live, drive what we drive, work where we work. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus loves sinners. His love is not just for the elite or the self-righteous. His love is for everyone. The love of Christ knows no boundaries. And you know, as I was watching things unfold in our country the last few days, I spoke a little bit at last, spoke a little bit about it last week, and my heart is filled with compassion for those who are who are hurt right now in our country. And we talked about it last week. We, we, we called the, the, the killing of George Floyd and murder because that's what it was my heart hurts for those who were suffering during this time so as we're watching that unfold we're watching the protests unfold there's a disgust in my heart for those who are taking advantage of the moment and they're stealing and, and, and as I was processing all of that there's this disgust in my heart and I felt the Lord pressed on me as I read John 4 I thought do I love them too and it's hard is it not hard to love those to, to, to love those that we don't like, to love those that we think don't deserve love. And this is what I wanted to press on my heart and your heart, that God's love is not like ours. God's love, the love of Christ has no boundaries. Amen? Let's continue on in this story. Let's see this love of Christ again. Because here's, here's the whole truth. Let's go to the text now. So John 4, 15, before I read John 4, 15, here's how how it goes. There's a section I'm not going to read, but here's what basically happens. Jesus says, if you knew the person that was asking you for water, you would say, no, 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 no. I need water from you because the water that he can give you will be a water that is everlasting. It will be a water that if you take this water, you will never thirst again. And the woman says in verse 15, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. Water here. Wow. She says, I want it. Why does she want that water? Why does she not want to have to come there? If we remember earlier in the text, she was coming at the sixth hour of the day, which would have been high noon. Women in that time, in that culture, where they came to a central location for water, there's no indoor plumbing like we have. They come to a central location for water. They don't, you don't come at noon. You come when? At six in the morning. You come when the sun's just coming up, when it's cool. But why is she coming at noon? And why does she not want to go back there? Because she's not a godly woman. Because she's living in sin. She's living in fornication. And Jesus knows that about her life. She is a shame in the community. And so she's saying, I want this water. If I don't have to come back here, that's what I want. I want that living water. But what does Jesus tell her at this point? He says, okay, I've stirred a hunger and I stirred a desire, a thirst in your heart for something more than what you have right now. But here's another picture of the love of Christ. The love of Christ does not ignore the truth. The love of Christ is reflected in the heart of a God who seeks. A heart of a God who knows no boundaries. His love knows no boundaries. But it is a love that does not ignore the truth. What does Jesus say? Okay, you want the water? Verse 16 through 18. Go call your husband and come here. Was she married? No. Listen to what she said. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. What is Jesus doing here? He's showing this woman what her greatest need is. Her greatest need is not to come to the well and in in, 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 in not be ridiculed. Her greatest need is, is not to have to not come there. Her greatest need is an internal problem, not her external problems. Her greatest need is not the ridicule of of her community. Her greatest need is for forgiveness. And Jesus is making a beeline to where the answer is found. If she's going to have peace, if she's going to have rest, if she's going to have joy, if she is going to have true living water in her heart for her soul, she has to come to terms with who she is. The love of Christ does not ignore truth. Sin is sin. This woman's greatest need was not related to the external problems of her life. Her greatest need had everything to do with an internal problem. And in one command, in one command, Jesus points her to the reality of her greatest need, the need of forgiveness. You know, the most loving thing to do is to speak the truth in love. It's the most loving thing to do, it's to speak the truth in love. Do you all know who Simon Cowell is? You know, I think we have, sometimes we have too many Simon Cowells in the world, in the church world. They like to speak the truth, but they have no regard for anybody, right? They're going to speak the truth, and they're going to they're let somebody know that they're wrong. We need, we need less Simon Cowells. What did Simon Cowell do? Simon Cowell spoke the truth. You got somebody up there singing like I did earlier? Simon looked at me and said, don't quit your day job, buddy. Because he would speak the truth. You'd, you'd have these people come up there and they would try to sing and they think they're going to be an, an American idol and Simon would look at him and, and say, that is the worst thing that I have ever heard in my life. And then you'd have the other ones that would butter him up and say, try to uh, smooth it over. You know, it's all for show, I'm sure, but I think he's really like that. But you know, Yes, we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth in love. And, and what Simon Cowell was doing is very important because he was actually telling people something that they needed to hear some self deceived people. And we live, in a, we live in a world today of self deceived people that they think that their life is okay. They think that the things that they're pursuing, as we talked about last week, you know how we talked about last week? People are placing their hope in, in things that have no stability for their life, whether it's, it's money, it's a career, it's a relationship. 401k, right? And it's like a broken chair you sit down in and it, and it falls apart. It's like, it's like going to an empty well that's broken and they need to be told the truth but we must tell the truth in love. But we must tell the truth. The gospel is the call to repentance. That's the truth. The gospel is a call to repentance. The scriptures know nothing of a salvation without repentance. The Bible knows nothing of a salvation without repentance. Look at Mark 1 it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. What's the gospel of God? He came proclaiming it. Here it is. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. It's a gospel of repentance and belief and faith. Luke 15, 7. We read this earlier. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. First sermon ever preached, Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up, Holy Spirit has come down. The, the crowd comes around, over 3,000 people come around because there's a commotion. What type of commotion was happening, right? Got people speaking in foreign languages, and they're just like, they look at them thinking that they're drunk. And Peter stands up. He begins to speak the truth about Christ. And he looks at those Jews in that room, in the upper room in Acts 2, and he says, You killed the Lord Christ. You killed the Messiah. He is truly, he is risen. He is truly the Savior. It says there in Acts 2 that their hearts were cut. They were cut to the heart. And they said, what? What must we do? What's the gospel? Peter said, repent. Repent. There is no gospel without repentance. And this is what Jesus was doing. He was seeking the Samaritan woman. His love had no boundaries, but his love also was grounded in truth. And he told her, go call your husband. You must repent. You must, if you want living water, you must repent. Repentance is a turning from sin and an embracing of Christ. Genuine genuine repentance knows that the evil of sin must be completely rejected and that the person and work of Christ must be fully embraced. The gospel is not a call to easy believism, it's not a call to add Jesus to your life. I think so many people that's what they want to do i just want to add religion add jesus to my life it's not a belief system you embrace while holding on to the things of this world that's not christianity the gospel is not a call to easy believism easy come easy go i pray to prayer i got my fire insurance i ease my conscience that's not the gospel message everywhere you look in the gospel it's 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 follow me it's abandon your old life it's let go of the past it's repent It's turn, it's follow me, it's the truth of the reality of our sin that must be abandoned and we must follow everything. We must drop everything and follow with all of our heart, follow with all that we have. The gospel is a call to self-denial. It is a call to come and die to yourself. Come, repent, and believe. What did Jesus say to the woman? He He starts talking about belief and worship and he, she started so she switches and she said okay you want to talk about religion well i'll, I'll talk to you about religion and, and you seem to be a prophet you know all about me so she wants to talk about religion verse john four let's go back to the text the woman said to him sir i perceive you're a prophet okay we want to you're a prophet let's talk about who's right and who's wrong our fathers worship on this mountain but you say that in jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship she's speaking about the jews the jews say it's in jerusalem well my fathers say it's on this mountain What did Jesus say? Woman, believe me. He said, it's about belief in me. Go call your husband and believe in me. Repent and believe in me. This is the gospel message. The gospel is a call for the sinner to repent and believe in Christ. But the gospel, the gospel produces a transformed life. This is what the gospel does. It's what the gospel does. Jesus did not ignore the immoral behavior of the Samaritan woman, but instead pressed the issue because he knew what she needed most. This is the love of Christ. Are you thankful for that love that stepped on your toes? You ever sat through a sermon and the, 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 the love of Christ stepped on your toes and you're like, why is that preacher talking about that? No, that's the love of Christ stepping on your toes. It's not your pastor. It's the love of Christ. He steps on our toes because God loves us. This is the love of Christ, a love that seeks, a love that knows no boundaries, a love that speaks the truth. Let's continue the story. We'll look at the last attribute of God's love, Christ's love, that we want to talk about this morning. John 4, let's go back. It says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But one said, what do you seek? But no one said, what do you seek? And, and why are you talking with her? Because they're clueless. They don't know what's going on, these, these, these disciples. They're a lot like us. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. This last picture of the love of Christ is this, is that the love of Christ, this love that seeks, this love that has no boundaries, this love that speaks the truth to us, it should compel us to go. It should compel us to go. This is what it did to the, to the Samaritan woman. It com- she was compelled to go. She was compelled to go and bring that message to those that she knew needed. She was, come, she was compelled to go and tell everyone. Do you remember that time when you were first born again? Think back to, to that time. How often did you tell others about what Christ did? Often, didn't you? We all did. It was that moment. It's because the Lord had transformed your life, and now you had a new paradigm. You had a new way of seeing life. Your life had been changed, and we were, you were compelled to go. You were compelled to go. You were compelled to go and preach a message that the world needed. And you knew that everyone you knew that didn't know Christ, they needed to hear what happened in your life. And so you went and you were filled with passion. Just like this Samaritan woman. She went, she said, come see a man. Come see a man that forgave me. Come see a man that that brought restoration in my heart. Come see a man that even though I was filled with hatred and anger and rejection, he healed me. He gave me living water. Come see a man. You remember that. You remember that time. You went and told everyone. And here's what I I want to tell us here today. That love of Christ, that love of Christ, that unshakable love, that perfect love, the love that it seeks, the love that seeks with no boundaries, that love that speaks the truth in love, that love that we should be compelled to go with, that is the love that this world needs right now. That is the love that this world so desperately needs right now. Look all around us right now. This The world needs love. You know what's happening right now? I talked about this last week. The world has always needed the love of Christ. The world has always struggled. There's always been division. There's always been struggle. There's always been pain. Right now, we just see it more clearly. It's on display for all to see. This world desperately needs it. It needed it before COVID. It needed before George Floyd. It needed before all the issues that we currently are seeing, and it will need it after. There will be more. Listen, listen. There will be more demonstrations of sinful humanity parading for us all to see. There's another thing coming. There's another struggle coming. There's more issues that will be there, and it's the love of Christ that the world needs. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. The love of Christ should compel us to go. Now, what does the gospel do? The gospel is a message, but the gospel is a life. The gospel is a message that is lived through a life. So as Christians, we go and we say, yes, this is wrong. Yes, this is sin. And yes, this must change. But the gospel is more than societal change. The gospel is a message. Because if we leave the world with just temporary changes and they don't have the eternal truth of the gospel in their heart, then all they are left with is changes in the temporary, but their eternity is not secure. And this is why we must go with the message of the gospel. We must go with hope for here and now, but we must go with hope for eternity. The answer is Christ. This is what our world needs. We need Jesus. We need his love. Our world needs the good news of the gospel. It has always been about the gospel. It has always been about the gospel, and it has always and always will be about what the gospel has the power to do. Why is the gospel the answer? What does the gospel do? What does it do? It changes your heart. That's what the world needs. That's what the world needs today. They need a transformed heart. And the only way to transform a heart is for them to come into relationship with Christ. That's what the woman at the well needed. She needed a transformed heart. She didn't need, she didn't need physical water. She needed a transformed heart. And that's what she got, that's what she went and told everyone. And the people she, that she went to tell, they were sinners that needed a transformed heart, and when a transformed heart goes into the world, it tells others how to find a transformed heart. And when a transformed heart goes into the world, it stands up for justice, it stands up for righteousness, it stands up for truth. And this is why it's always been about the gospel. And this is why this is our platform. This is what we stand on as a church. This is what we stand on as Christians. That the core of it all, the core for change in our world, is Christ. It's the gospel. Let us not be pulled off our platform. We have one platform. We have one message. It's the only message that can bring healing to the hearts of the people in this country. Is the only message that can heal our land. I want to say this. Hear me. There's a a temptation for us to believe that the solution to the mess we see in the world today is complex and nuanced. That it's just, it's so complex that there's really not an answer. There's a temptation to believe that it's the gospel plus something else. And here's the truth. God has always been holy. Man, since the fall, has always been sinful. And Jesus has always been the cure. And that will never change. And this is why it is not nuanced. Is there nuances and complexities to societal issues? Absolutely. That's not what I'm saying. But the solution is always the same. God's always been holy. Man has always been sinful. And they act out in crazy ways. And the solution has always been Christ. Always will be. And that's why the church stands on the gospel. And we preach Christ. We need the love of Christ to be shed abroad in our heart. We preach Christ. There's only one way for the heart of man to be changed. And that answer is Christ. I want to end with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? What's Paul saying here? People are debating. They're trying to figure out where are the answers. Where's the scribe? Where's the wise people? They're debating. They're trying to figure out answers to this life. Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, I just, I just want to say this. I have to say it. I'm sorry. God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The wisdom of this world says we have to defund the police. Even some of them say we have to disband the police. That's foolishness. It's foolishness. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God. What does that mean, the foolishness of God? It means that the world looks at this and they say, this is foolish. This is your answer to the problems of the world? This is foolishness. But for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God, they say this is weak. The gospel is a weak message. It it's not going to change anyone. The weakness of God is stronger than men. We preach Christ. Amen. 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 Lord, I pray that you would help us here today. God, help us. Lord, in our hearts, help us to never, never move off the anchor, the anchoring reality of your love. Your love is the answer. The love of Christ reflects the heart of God who seeks, the heart of God who seeks everyone, who loves everyone, no matter who they are, what they've done, or where they come from. But it's also a love that confronts the truth because the greatest need of humanity is repentance and forgiveness. And God, I pray that we would boldly proclaim that truth. I pray that we would live that truth in our society, that we would stand for truth and justice and righteousness and righteousness. But we would point, we would consistently point to the reason why we stand for those things. It's because God has changed our hearts. Let us proclaim the truth of the gospel, that God is holy, that man is sinful, and that the only solution is Christ. May that be our platform. May it be what we stand on until you come again and make all things right. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.